Good morning. I am glad to be back here this morning with you all and on such a beautiful day. I love the snow. Um, And I'm excited to be spending my last week of break uh, here where it's actually cold enough to snow um, and not in Missouri where it's not cold enough for snow. But it is cold enough for ice. On a campus where we are primarily made up of staircases outside, pray for me. (laughs) Speaking of prayer, why don't we open with a word of prayer this morning. Um, Will you join me? Father, we come to you this morning um, in a a moment of humility, um, seeking your guidance um, and seeking your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say this morning. And I pray that you'd help the words that I say to uh, be the words that you say. Uh, it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I can't count the number of times that I've been told to sleep on it. It seemed like that's among the most common pieces of advice delivered when someone is struggling with a difficult decision. I remember way back all those years ago when I was choosing which college I would want to attend after my senior year of high school. There were a lot of nights where I just slept on it. Whether that was because I truly felt that sleeping on it was helping my decision or because I was trying to avoid making the decision itself, you may never know, but it's a good example of an important decision in life. Something I've had to learn for myself during my first semester is that rest is important. And not even just important, Rest is necessary. Have you ever been so tired that you start to notice little changes in the way that you act? I personally know people who start feeling sick when they get too tired. And I myself don't face that problem, but I do get pretty loopy. Uh, My parents like to tell me a story, like to tell everybody a story, about when I was little and groggy with some tired Uh, We were on vacation on our way to Orlando, Florida to spend some time at Disney, and we'd stopped in Georgia for the night to get some much-needed sleep and to recompose ourselves before reaching the hotel that we'd been staying at, or we would be staying at for our trip. Now, back before iPhones were readily available, I'm not sure if you guys remember, (laughs) but GPS was its own thing. You'd have to buy a little screen that was separate from your cell, and it would sit up on the dashboard, waiting to guide whatever journey you'd take next. And on this particular morning, my parents were setting our GPS, whose name was Dave, (laughs) for directions to the hotel in Orlando. Whether by mistake or out of carelessness or whatever, my parents forgot to mute good old Dave before reprogramming him, and so a very sleepy, very annoyed four-year-old Seth woke up to Dave being really loud, sat up in bed, only half awake, and yelled, Shut up, Dave! Which was never something I would have said in front of my parents. (laughs) That phrase was among those that were frowned upon back then. Exhaustion can lead to decisions that probably aren't the most informed. Often when we become too tired, we wind up saying or doing things that we regret. I know that there are numerous videos floating around of me being tired and weird and crazy and embarrassing myself. 
And when I realized that I was being dumb or slap happy the night before, I kind of just have to accept whatever is in the video uh, and move on, no matter how stupid I look. And while that's not a huge idea, what's, what's worse is the, the times that I've lost my temper or, or snapped at someone because I was too tired to deal with whatever it is that they were asking me to do. And so, if physical fatigue causes so many problems, I wonder what sorts of problems spiritual fatigue might cause. You may be wondering what spiritual fatigue looks like or what that even means. I'd classify spiritual fatigue as an exhaustion that comes along with kingdom work. Kingdom work, while specifically for the kingdom, is just that. It is, it is work. And just like our normal everyday work, at our jobs, at school, or chores, kingdom work can be exhausting. Let's take a, a moment to note something important here. That's not a bad thing. To be tired isn't necessarily a bad thing, and in fact, it's within the nature that God created for us. Right in the beginning, God created rest. In, in Genesis 2, 2 through 3, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I, I, I personally don't believe that God was necessarily tired, but he is setting the example for what we do when we're tired. To rest is not a sin. It's not a bad practice. In fact, it's, it's a good one. It doesn't need to distract from productivity or destroy our work ethic. It restores those things. Rest was made to heal. Rest was created as a means by which revival of the heart, soul, and mind can occur. And we can have the opportunity to sit back and acknowledge the goodness of the, of the world and the work that we've been doing. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't bad. He had a chance to look at all he had made and cherish every creation, big and small. He was able to reflect on what he'd made and really appreciate the splendor of his work. And the same is true for us. To rest is to gain the opportunity to take a step back and acknowledge the work that we've been doing for the goodness and glory of God. But it's also a time where we can be blessed to refresh ourselves so that we can continue on in our kingdom work. Because good rest has a purpose. Healthy rest has a goal in mind. There's nothing inherently wrong with taking a do-nothing day every once in a while, but a life that leans on unnecessary rest is one that borders on sloth. Real rest, true rest, comes with the intention and the purpose to renew. A renewal of the mind, renewal of the heart, to renew one's strength and one's spirit. Real rest is rest that puts us back where doing kingdom work for the Lord. And resting, while a beautiful gift and a brilliant component in the lives that God designed for us, does not necessarily come easily or even naturally to everyone. I can say this confidently as I've witnessed a number of different things that can stop people from resting well. I've known people who have nightmares, people who struggle with anxiety and can't fall asleep initially. Um, and I myself tend to keep myself awake so that I can enjoy whatever activities are going on. I have a little bit of FOMO, but, you know. Um, <laughs> rest doesn't come easily to everyone. So, so what are some healthy ways that 
we can improve our spiritual restfulness and really renew ourselves for the purpose of living out purpose. How can we rest ourselves well to find the strength to fight the good fight and and the endurance to win the race mentioned in 2 Timothy? Well, at the beginning of Romans 12, a couple verses lay out the ground rules for how we can access true, lasting, and God-given renewal in Christ. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. Here we have a few things that must be done in order to access the renewal of our mindset. I I see offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I see do not conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed instead by the renewing of our mind, and I see that these steps promise us the ability to discern and have confidence in God's will for our lives. It's a three-part process, and I think that a three-part process merits three good ways in which we can find rest straight from our Creator. Times of refreshment like those Peter mentions in Acts 3.19. I'd like to propose these specific categories today in which you and I can find the peace that leads to rest. These may not be the only categories, but they're the three that I want to focus on, especially coming into this new year. With all the blessings and all the challenges ahead, I truly feel that these practices will help each of us, myself included, in in really drawing nearer to God and renewing ourselves to better focus on the plans that he has for us. The first of these three categories is acceptance. Acceptance, as we often think of it, resembles baptism. The practice of baptizing someone by water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a prominent way in the Bible, a very important way in the Bible, to profess one's faith in and acceptance of God. And let me tell you, there's something so amazing about baptism. I've gotten to watch a few baptisms myself of people older than myself, younger than myself, my friends, new, new friends from school, old friends from before, this past year, and every time I've become a witness to someone's testimony, my heart has been so full. It's an amazing moment to watch when someone proclaims the name of Jesus over their life and future. And, and if you yourself have been wondering about, con- confused about, seeking guidance with, or considering the idea of being baptized, we have a number of people here at Northwest who would be overjoyed to have a conversation with you. I would encourage you to seek out an elder or staff member if you have any questions at all. There's elders that meet in the overflow after service. I would encourage you to go find one of them or check that box on your Connect card. But acceptance does not end with baptism. I hate to break it to you. Well, actually, I don't because that's my job. But I'm going to tell you right now that accepting Jesus is a constant choice that never stops. Luke 9.23 talks about the importance of taking up one's cross daily and accepting the path that Jesus has laid out for us. And just like a marriage, one of the most sacred and holy vows that a person can make to another, accepting Christ is a commitment. The, The word commitment as we know it means the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, etc. And in this case, it's a person. So I'm gonna let you know right now that If you think baptized alone 
is, is, is good enough to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're in for the shock of a lifetime. Because baptism is, is not a magical thing, and, and there's nothing special about the water we use. <clears throat> baptism is the, the first step in a life's worth of following in the footsteps of Christ. So even those of you who have been baptized, don't forget to wake up every morning and remember when you look in the mirror whose you are whose child you are. Don't forget to start your day off or, or to end your night right by thanking the Lord that your, your, your Father in heaven for all he's done for you. Don't abandon the, the commitment. We all struggle. I promise we all do. So ask for forgiveness. Ask for help moving forward and hold your head up high knowing that you are a son or a daughter of Christ. Realize that discipleship in Christ will cost you all that you have, but it is well worth it. Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, he had his cousin John baptized. He had his cousin John baptize him as a testament to his faith and a public display that he was indeed the Christ, fully committed to fulfilling God's plan and purpose for his life. In chapter 3 of his gospel, Luke writes, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus' ministry begins with his baptism, a public display of his acceptance of Christ. Now, because Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, he may not have necessarily needed to confess his acceptance himself. God the Father already knew that Jesus was devoted to him because Jesus was, of course, God in the flesh. But he absolutely uses the opportunity to set the tone for acceptance moving forward and for baptism and immediately coming into contact with the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus do moving forward? How does he choose to live his life? Well, Luke 4, 1 through 13 is my favorite story in the Bible. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. <clears throat> he ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Uh, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus never once gave up accepting the Lord and, and trusting that God's commands kept Jesus' best interests in mind. And in the end, it was his continuous and unrelenting confession of God's power over his life that sent the devil running. Accept God, and he will guide you to what is good. The second of these categories is repentance. <clears throat> repentance is an action that goes hand in hand with acceptance. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to be devoted to two masters at the same time. It's impossible to be devoted to money and to God. It's impossible to be devoted to lust and to God. It's impossible to be devoted to sin and to God. No matter the other master, it simply does not work to devote ourselves to more than one. And I guarantee that everyone has struggled with, is struggling with, or will struggle with this problem. This world has so many masters to offer up for us to serve. There's easy access to a multitude of different things that can pull us in and drag us down before we even know that we have an issue. I'd be willing to bet that that most people in this room have dealt with more than one master trying to control their life at one point or another, but when I tell you that the only one that matters in the slightest is God, you better believe that I'm pulling that right out of the scriptures. I'm sure this world has a million new masters to serve each day, but what's it say in Romans? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I've been a witness to way too many mistakes. And mistakes can be forgiven, but active refusal to repent and turn to God will lead you down a road that you don't want to be on. For just a second, I want to remind you of something that that typically works its way into the end of the message. You're forgiven. You already were. You already are. Jesus died on that cross for you and, and I already. He paid the price to save us. So what is it, I wonder, that makes it so easy for us to turn our backs? Why do we join in with those who mocked, beat, and betrayed him? People killed Christ. We killed Christ, and yet he's forgiven us. Why is it so hard for people to repent and and accept the forgiveness that we already have access to? I wonder why it's so hard for me, and I'm sure that you wonder why it's hard for you. Well, we have the devil to blame for the introduction of sin into this world, but the kicker is that the devil can't make our decisions for us. Satan doesn't get to decide what you do with your life. That's up to you. And it's up to me for mine. And without a doubt in my mind, I can say the only way that we get to escape his clutches is if we turn to Jesus. Christ is there and he's waiting. But just like Satan can't make our decisions for us, neither does God. It's up to us. And the result of repentance, as we see in the Bible, is amazing. Jesus never needed to repent. He, he never sinned. But there's two ways that I'd, I'd like to point out today that the Bible makes clear through his example how important it is to confess our sins and leave them behind. And the first of these is right there on the cross our, as our Savior was dying in front of the people's eyes. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place they called the school, they, cr- they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. <clears throat> the second is in the book of Acts. Throughout the entire book, Jesus' disciples who are teaching what he taught are, are telling various groups of people or individuals to repent and be baptized. Because repentance is part of the key to renewal. The apostles are teaching what Jesus taught before, and the very men who walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, prayed with him, and carried out his ministry are telling everyone they come across to turn away from evil and towards God. 
The hard part is that repentance isn't a one-time deal either. Just like acceptance, repentance is a commitment that must be carried out daily. Don't be discouraged when you sin. We all do, but acknowledge that mistake. Recognize it. Speak it into existence and, and notice that what was done was wrong and then work on it. Don't shrug your shoulders and turn around just to live life the exact same way. I may not have lived as long as some of the people in this room, but I can safely say I've wasted far too many second chances because I told myself they don't run out. And it's true that forgiveness is a gift we don't earn, but forgiveness doesn't hold as much power if the intention is just to continue on with whatever we're doing in the first place. Seek accountability, ask God for strength, and and leave your demons behind. The third and final category that I want to bring up today is, is prayer. Prayer is intimidating, is it not? It is for me, and I've been praying since I could talk. I've spent a lot of time learning about prayer during my first semester at Ozark, and I'll be honest, there, there was a lot I didn't understand. Fundamentally, prayer is simple. Prayer is talking to God, a simple idea. Just like you talk to your parents, your siblings, your friends, your spouse, your dog, I don't know. Prayer is simply talking to God. Now, somewhere between one of you and all of you are thinking that it's not simple. How do I do that? And that's where the tricky part does come in. Because what's really intimidating isn't the concept, it's the execution. But the reality is that the execution doesn't need to be scary either. Just like getting good at anything else, it takes practice and devotion. The more you pray, the more comfortable and confident you become with prayer. I have a secret. There's no correct way to pray. There are examples of good prayers in the Bible, but, but prayer can really be whatever you want as long as it seeks to acknowledge God's presence, power, and character. Over the past semester, my eyes have really been open to how many different ways there are to pray. No two students at, at Ozark pray the same way every single time, and, and that's okay. In, in fact, it's beautiful. You wouldn't take an introvert and, and lock them in a room with a friend group completely made of extroverts, right? That's scary. <laughs> Similarly, our individual personalities should be able to express themselves to God when we spend intentional time with him. Moment of truth, okay? I'm really bad at focusing. The way my mind works, I've begun to discover, is that I can really only focus on one thing at a time, but my mind goes so fast that things rotate in and out within seconds. And for the longest time, one of the most unfocused and frustrating times in my life was was my prayer time. My mind would wander and, and suddenly I'd be wondering what I'm eating for lunch tomorrow. How's my buddy Trey doing across the hall? Oops, I forgot to do my speech homework. And then I'd fall asleep. <laughs> Without really interacting with God at all. Well, throughout the, the semester, in, in one class in particular, we, we studied different ways to pray. Over winter break, I've started journaling. My prayers in, in, in a book, I've started writing them down. And, and that's really helped me to focus and, and say what I need to with intention. And personally, I I truly believe that different prayers work best for different people. So I want to share a few of my favorite ways to pray with you today. And you're welcome to try them, but you're not obligated. 
but you should. <clears throat> this is a list of ways to pray that came straight out of my notebook that I kept for Kevin Greer's Essentials of Spiritual Formation class. So if you're wondering where I learned about these, there you go. There are about 30 examples here on this list, and I probably don't have time to explain them all, so I'm just going to explain a few of my favorites. If you're curious to learn about any more, I'd love to talk to you after service. All right. <clears throat> Sentence prayers. Sentence prayers are simple, short prayers that just remind us of who we're talking to. Throughout the day, just a simple prayer to God. God, thank you for. God, help me with. God, you know, fill in the blank. Writing a letter. I like to write my prayers down, journaling, uh, but writing a letter to God is a great form of, of prayer, making sure that you remind yourself who, who your prayer is to um, and signing it off, remembering that, that this is you talking. The next one is a journal, which I've, that's a journal. <laughs> a prayer wall. And this is a wall in your house or your room that you devote to putting up scriptures on or putting your prayers on so that you can look at it and be constantly reminded of the thoughts that you were thinking while you were praying or the thoughts you were thinking while you were reading certain scriptures and to be reminded of what God has been saying to you through the scriptures. Empty seats is one that I've learned from Ozark and that one blew my mind a little bit. We do this um, I was in the choir this semester, and we do this every um, time before we lead chapel, whether we're on, in the band or uh, preaching the sermon or in the choir. We go around the chapel full of empty seats. No one's in there. And we pick a row, and we pray for the seats in our row. Um, so this is a great one to use if you're, if you're hosting an event or even just a dinner party at your house. Just pray for the empty seats. Pray for the people that will be in those seats. Pray that they... they be connected to God. Pray that, that you can be a vessel for, for God's word and help guide them towards um, his way. Drive-by prayers. That's a, that sounds scary. <laughs> um, Drive-by prayers are, are fun. I actually did a reverse of, of this one um, during a, a day of solitude. That wasn't fun either. Um, but... Um, so drive-by prayers are intended to be when you're in your car, just as you pass by things. Don't close your eyes while you're praying. That's dangerous. But as you pass by things, say a quick prayer in your mind or out loud um, about people you see or places you see. Um, and, and the reverse that I did was I was just on a picnic blanket out at a park. And every time a car went by, I prayed for whoever was driving in that car. And it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, let's see. An artistic prayer. That's a fun one. To, to draw, color, or sculpt. Because, because our art is a form of worship. And music is one of those forms that we use together on a Sunday morning. But, but you can also use poetry or art. I mean, poetry and sculpt, sculpting are... are examples in the Bible that were used to worship God. And I think it's important to, to remember those and to still practice them today. Just focus on one aspect, praise or thanks or grace or love, whatever it is. Prayer notes, 
prayer stations. We often use these in youth group or um, at, in, in events. We like to plan prayer stations. With those, those provide a visual for what you're praying about, and that's really helpful sometimes. And trying different postures of prayer is, is another really cool one. Um, I learned about a new posture of prayer this semester where you lay on your face. And I have not tried that one yet. <laughs> but, there, you know, it exists, so there you go. <clears throat> prayer, along with acceptance and repentance, is a fundamental part of rest and renewal. Without prayer, we don't recognize God in our midst. Without prayer, we ignore the relationship that our Father in heaven wants to have with us. A relationship doesn't last very long without communication, and that's no different when it comes to God. But God isn't the one being quiet. He is constantly calling out to us. We're the ones who partake in neglecting. We're the ones who forget to or, or just don't talk to God, and without that connection, we feel abandoned. Just, just another instance that I've seen play out far too many times in the lives of the people around me. Uh, of this in particular, I'm undoubtedly guilty because it's easier for me to blame God for the lack of communication than, than to recognize that I've been neglecting him for too long. It's, it's, it's easy to, to claim abandonment by God to deflect the truth that I walked away in the first place. But Jesus continues to demonstrate the importance of these disciplines. I bet you expect a certain passage here, one that, that most of us are already quite familiar with, one that many have memorized, <clears throat> that one prayer about bread and deliverance. I don't know, you might have heard it. But in keeping with my previous statement that prayer looks different for everyone, I'm hoping to keep you on your toes. My favorite prayer in the Bible is in Luke 22. Uh, let me set the scene. Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. He knows that one of them will betray him tonight, and he knows which one it will be. He knows that this betrayal will lead him to his final moments where he will be mocked, scorned, beaten, bruised, spat on, ridiculed, bullied, laughed at, abused, whipped, stabbed, and nailed to a tree where he will die a very slow and very painful death. His lungs will collapse and he will suffocate, breathing his last all in only hours from this very moment, and he is scared. So he goes out to one of his favorite spots on the Mount of Olives, tells his disciples to stay up and pray with him, and then prays to the Father himself. Verses 41 through 44. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat like drops of blood were falling to the ground. The beauty of this moment is that Jesus felt what he felt. He didn't hold back his fears or worries from God because God can take it when we're upset. When we're angry or sad or frustrated or afraid or hurt or furious or grieving or depressed or anxious or distant, he can handle it. But what Jesus never does is relinquish his trust in God. And so he tells God all that he's going through, and God listens. It's here in, in a quiet, distressing, and turbulent moment of humble acceptance that Jesus demonstrates repentance in the sense that he, asks, he seeks to once again align his heart, mind, and body with the task given to him by the Father, falling to his knees in prayer. 
And in the end, God uses the strength Jesus finds in this moment to fulfill the exact purpose that he intended, a purpose that no one else could fulfill, a purpose that makes the end the beginning. With Jesus' faithful sacrifice fresh on our minds, I want to transition into a time of communion. Before his prayer on the Mount of Olives, Jesus ate one final meal with his disciples, and during this meal, he told them that he would die soon. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Every Sunday, we have an opportunity to partake in the same communion. Every Sunday, we have an opportunity to renew our minds together by reflecting on the depth of love that our Savior has for us. As the servers come around, I encourage you to take this chance to spend a moment with God asking him for renewal and reflecting on what steps you may need to take to access a restful spirit. Then I'll come back up and we'll receive our communion together. His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. Well, thank you for being here with me this morning and braving the, the blizzard outside. <laughs> uh, my goal this time was to um, fulfill the um, time requirement. <laughs> I think I did a better job than I did the last time. Um, next week, Steve is going to be back up um, preaching to you guys about renewal through opening our minds um, to the unseen. So I will be back and excited to hear um, what he has to say for us. But for now, why don't you stand up and let's sing one last song together. <laughs>